Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Matt Offenbacher. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's good to be lovely. How about yourself? <laughs> Doing feeling lovely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just the season, the holiday spirits in the air, just absolutely loving it. Got to spend the weekend with my wife, so we participated in a few uh, oil field Christmas events, which was fun. Mm. Big shout out to Social Octane. We were a big sponsor for the Oil and Gatsby Charity Christmas Ball. That happened last week, and it was an absolute success. Just a lot of customers and just great people enjoying the festivities, and it went to a great cause, a lot of great sponsors. So yeah, that was definitely fun. And yeah, just enjoying the holiday season. What about you? Yeah, uh, you know, for me, it was a very long weekend. Like, not bad, but like lots of birthday parties. Okay, like kids' birthday parties? Yeah, like nice. when, you, when you have a small child, how many birthday parties? Like, <laughs> no, and they don't yeah, even know where they're- yesterday. Yeah, like they don't know where they're supposed to be, but you're like, we got to go to this one, then we got to go to this one. Oh. And, well, can I have the presents? And no, it's not for you, <laughs> but you'll get a cupcake. Like all of that, you know? <laughs> So um, yeah, dude. <laughs> we did a lot of that. And then yesterday <laughs> we did so the Polar Express in Galveston. What? Was it um, good? It was good. I mean, Elijah had a great time. It was one of those like both sets of grandparents came. Like it was just, it was a lot of people and a lot of, we didn't really know what we were getting into, which I think that uncertainty was a little bit stressful. And then we got on the train and saw, you know, Elijah have the time of his life. Wow. That was That's the best. You know, that was great. He's still carrying around his bell and nice. you know, going on about it. But so that was neat because he loves trains and, yeah. you know, the Polar Express, good story. Oh, it's so one it's a classic for sure. Is it kind of based off the like the one the the movie, right? The cartoon yeah. or the animated Polar Express movie? Yeah. yeah. So it started out as a book. Back in my day we didn't have the Animated, but uh, yes. <laughs> but what they did was they sort of had like open up with a kind of a little play part where it's like, you know, they start the opening of the story and then they're like, "Hey, kids, let's get on the Polar Express." And you get on a train that's like, you know, an old timey train, but it's got like the windows are sort of frosted out. I'm pretty sure you just go backwards for a little bit and then go forwards for a little bit. Okay, but you're moving. Yeah, and they had people act out like throughout in the cars where you were sitting there and sing some songs and stuff like that and okay hot chocolate and cookies and all that and, and, and that's in Galveston? Yeah, and then yeah, so it's, it's at the Railroad Museum there. Okay. Apparently they do them in other places too. We didn't I mean, my wife arranged all this. I just attended. I had to wear matching pajamas. Big shout out to you your know. wife. That's yeah. uh, that's huge cuz yeah. I would like a little credit for wearing the pajamas, though. I <laughs> and and great like... job to wear the pajamas, Matt. You were you, all in. That was funny. Like, you could tell the other dads that were sort of like, I'm not here by choice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And the other ones that were like kind of getting into it. But it's like a lot of these things you don't really want to do. It's the joy on your kid's face that doesn't matter about. what I think. Yeah, exactly. So, no, and on the train topic... I was at a customer's office this morning and one of the ladies there was telling me about her trip to Colorado this weekend. And have you ever heard of the Georgetown Express or the Georgetown train Christmas thing? No. Well, so similar to that, it's mm. everywhere you get on a train and the train's completely decorated, like full-blown Christmas. And it's nothing to do with the Polar Express, but you get on this old-timey train and it takes you through the mountains. Ooh. And they've got like 
yeah, a bunch of people on there that are dressed up and it's this big thing. And she said it like, cause she was there with one of her friends from Colorado. It was just like a little vacation trip that they did. But she said for her, she didn't even have kids and it was like the most magical experience of her entire life. Huh. And so, and I was like, oh my goodness, if my ace, my son, he's absolutely just infatuated with trains, obsessed, right? Yeah. Kind of like Elijah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, if I could take him up there, he would literally die and go to heaven. Like he would, and the, the pictures were cool in the mounds. It was snowing and like they got the chocolate and like the full winter Christmassy experience. Yeah. Oh, so geeked out. So if anyone's in Colorado, it's, yeah, it's the Georgetown something. I forget if you looked it up, I'm sure Google could find it pretty quick, but something to consider for next year, Matt, because that might be right up your alley. You should tell my wife because I will keep it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Oh man. Well, anyway, it's good banter. I always love to chat with you, Matt, right before we get going here. A topic today is kind of taking a 30,000 foot view not going to, we're not going to dive into anything technical on the drilling fluid side. But, you know, something that if you're familiar with Spears and Associates, they put out a lot of great reports and data, you know, just they're good stewards of the industry altogether. They've been posting quite a bit of stuff on LinkedIn. And Matt came across a post which got a lot of attention. And it was kind of the typical U.S. land well cost in 2022. And it breaks down sort of drilling and completions, high level average cost. And then, you know, along with a percent of that cost into the entirety of the well. And Matt, it was kind of a neat sort of breakdown and something that I could have thrown some numbers, you know, off the top of my head to come up with something similar. But it was neat to to see something like they obviously did a bunch of research, probably took an average across of their clients, maybe, you know, you know, expert opinions, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I just thought, you know, we could talk about it. And a good idea there, Matt. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I think the breakdown's interesting, right? Like, that's a typical U.S. land well. So yeah. you can hear them say, oh, we would never charge that much for this, or we never, you know. <laughs> right. Full right. disclosure, yeah. Yeah, because it's the internet, and everybody wants to argue and disagree, we can at least qualify it and say, this is typical, and looking at these numbers, we weren't exactly, like, I don't think anybody can look at it and be like, I totally disagree with this. Sure. But it does shed some light, I think, on the relationships of different costs. Yeah. And, you know, I was presenting at the ADE a couple of weeks ago, and one thing when we were talking about automation is automation is great, and as Fluids people, we're excited about some of the things in the pipeline, but when you look at all the costs, is it the most important thing to an operator right now? Right, yeah. And, I mean, look, we all know that bad drilling fluid can make your rig day rate go way, way up, right? Like they can all affect each other. But the fact of the matter is when they go line by line and look at their costs, where do they say, this is something that I need to address or keep an eye on? Right. We'll go down this list and maybe there's something else that you'd say, hey, that's probably more important right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. and again, it comes down to priority, right? Where are you going to put the money and where are you going to get the most juice for the squeeze? Right. Where can you put the money to make a difference, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A great point. And again, the costs are one thing, but I think if you were to look at this and the percent of what makes up the total cost, I think that is pretty standard. And again, I, I would assume these are all un most unconventional horizontal you know, wells throughout the major basins. But Matt, where do you want to start? You want to start up at the bottom or top? I think we start at the top because that one big thing I think is something <laughs> you and I don't think about enough. Yeah. No, again, it's, and this is, you know, drilling and completions. And so the big one off the top of your head, I'm going to take a pause and see if anyone out there can guess. One, two, three. All right, Matt, what is it? Side tracking. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> like, oh my goodness. You've been part of some <laughs> yeah. bad wells, buddy. Yeah, exactly. It is very expensive after four whip stocks, but <laughs> that's true. Uh, so hydraulic fracturing. So our total well cost in this prototypical well is $3.195 million. Hydraulic fracturing, Spears and Associates has listed at one and a quarter million dollars or almost 40% 
of the overall drilling and completion costs. Huge. That's, That's a lot of money. Yeah, no, if you think about it, I mean, 40, if you were to do a project, whatever project it is, whether it's woodworking or whether it's, you know, whatever the case is, if you have something that makes up for 40% of your cost, you're probably going to allocate a bunch of time and resources and effort into making sure that is done, you know, to the best of its ability and capabilities. And if you're going to try and, you know, push some buttons and move some levers, that's likely going to be a spot that you're going to look at pretty closely. Right. And the other thing, if you think about it, you'd probably try and shop around. But I think, as you and I know, at least these days, it's kind of hard to get frack crews. Yeah. And that was one of the, I was at the, I sat next to a gentleman with a fracking company. And it was funny because Spears, as he does, makes made an offhand joke at this. This was at the SPAD luncheon last week. You know, made an offhand joke about, you know, people and basically like the, you know, frat crew getting their feelings hurt and walking off location. And he sort of rolled his eyes. He goes, you have no idea how true that is. Oh, really? So I think it's, you know, they can find another job tomorrow with somebody else and, and they know it, right? And yeah. so one, because drilling and completions are so disconnected because we drill the well, we secure the well, we leave, somebody else comes and fractures it and brings it on. Mm. And that could happen years apart. It could happen days apart. We don't know, but it's a huge part of the cost associated with that well. And one of the reasons that those costs probably would be difficult to control is it's hard to shop around. It's hard to get competition for something that yeah. there seems to be a shortage of, would you say? Yeah, is that the I would say, yeah. It's, I think there's kind of a few things there. There's, I would say, you know, labor being one of the biggest challenges and then a shortage on not necessarily the horsepower, but the right horsepower that they're looking for. A lot of the equipment is becoming obsolete just due to, you know, emissions and certain standards that I think operators are looking for. But yeah, it's, I think, you know, to sum it up, it's labor and supply chain, I think is where, you know, the supply shortage comes from on the hydraulic fracturing side. Yeah. And then most of the stuff we're dealing with here today. So. Yeah. I mean, it takes a ton of money to get that much horsepower built, which means you need to borrow money yeah. to do it. And interest rates are high and people don't want to loan money to the oil field and yeah. all those things. So yeah, I have no intent on getting into the fracking business, but <laughs> I would say it's probably a, you're in the driver's seat, at least right now. Yeah. You know, again, to that point, one of my best friends from Denver owns his own frack company. He opened up shop a few years ago and whew, some of the stuff he deals with is, is pretty heavy. He's got, I think, four frack crews now. Yeah, he's done extremely well, but it's just- I was going to say, he still talks to you? <laughs> yeah, he does. He barely has time and he yeah. has a new baby. So, but no, a big, big shout out to my buddy up there. And so, yeah, so we're looking at, you know, hydraulic fracturing, 40% of overall cost, absolutely monstrous. And then the next one you'd think, you know, maybe is somewhat even close, but it's not. You know, we're going to take a pause here real quick. The big next one here, contract driller. So those are your, you know, your H&Ps, your Precisions, your Pattersons, your, your drilling contractors. And, you know, that comes in at a whopping 490, so almost half a million bucks for a well at 15% of the overall cost. That's another big one. And we talk about, you know, shortages and challenges. Again, you know, the labor shortage on that front is, is tough. And, but that is a huge cost. And they're typically on a day rate, which again, days are money. But yeah, I mean, Matt, what, what's your sort of thought around the contract driller part of it? Did you expect it to be that high? Or? So I just did the, a calculation on my phone. And yeah. one thing we've heard about is day rates are going up and up and up, right? People said it was as low when things were really, really bad. It was as low as 18. Said new contracts, 35, 38, as high as $40,000 a day, right? Yeah. So if I divide 490,000 by 35,000, I get 14 days. Okay. Which is drilling pretty fast, right? It's what you expect on these unconventional wells. That's 
accounting for the bad wells and the good wells, right? Mm -hmm. But that seems to make sense. And we know those rates are probably going up. And I, I think on the day rate side of things, you talk about people again. You remember when things get real bad and you keep your absolute best hands and they stay with you. Yeah. And you drill these really amazing wells. And then it goes to, we need people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you wrestle with how fast can I train people? How can I maintain standard? Because we have a lot of new entrants. And what you find is actually you may lose some efficiency in that. Um, yeah, there's a risk a of point. it. So I think there's a lot here where it's not just that day rate, but making sure we keep the days down both from a personnel perspective as far as handling the rig and then, of course, things we can do on the service side. Yeah. No, that's actually a really interesting point, Matt, because I look at, you know, just through my observation, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure the data would, would tell a different story perhaps is, you know, from the time we were at, call it, you know, three to 400 rigs in the U.S., I mean, over the sort of on the macro level, yes, over the time we've been able to get more and more efficient, but I'm curious, I would be curious to see if you know, the footage per day or whatever, how you'd want to sort of measure it. The efficiencies have actually kind of either sort of gotten sort of kind of plateaued or even gotten worse as we've gotten busier because of new hands and all the rest of it. And I'd just be curious overall as an industry, if we're maintaining the same level of efficiencies we were, say, call it a year and a half or two ago. I don't know the answer. Again, I haven't noticed it really like on a major scale, but I, I think on the net, think we still improve. I do think though, those new rigs or especially at like, they lag the leaders. Like yeah. on the net, we're still moving forward, but my general observation has been that the best rigs are still the best rigs and it is there's still a gap and something that has to be done to catch up. Yeah. So you bring a new rig on, I think most people are used to the expectations. It's going to take six months to get everybody humming along together. Yeah, yeah. No, scaling, I mean, I actually have seen this going from one rig, On one of my customers went from one rig to five and we had that one rig dialed in. Everything was just like, you know, well-oiled machine. Then all of a sudden we add a bunch of rigs and all of a sudden things start happening. And it's like, oh, everyone gets upset and uptight. Da, da, da. But the reality is it's like, yeah, you're bringing in new people. And then you're, you know, one person wants to adopt this and then do that. And next thing you know, you're kind of, you know, stumbling around for a few months trying to catch your catch yourself, you know. Communication, you can't maintain the same standards. Like it's just, it's difficult because you rely on more people and that means there's more ways to not communicate or not do things the same. And yeah, you know, here we are. Exactly. Anyway, the next one here is another big hot topic of discussion. OCTG, also known as Oil Country Tubular Goods. That comes in at, what is it? Okay, close. So 370,000 for about 12, 11 and a 12% of the overall cost pretty significant. If you were to take the completion side out of this, that between contract driller and OCTG, that's huge, right? Oh, yeah. Especially I mean, on the drilling side. Well, and, and we've heard all about it, right? Like this one is probably one that may come down. Yeah, the other guy sitting near me at lunch was a pipe guy. And he said, yeah, you know, we're so, sold out through Q1 and Q2. But yeah. he said after that, but it was really, really hard to get. I think the price went up like 90% Oof. after the pandemic. And so Sheesh. this one probably should give Okay. And, you know, I will see, and this is sort of like what I'm hearing from guys like Richard Spears and that kind of thing, but that's a lot of money. And so that's everything, right? That's casing, production tubing, and drill pipe. And drill pipe, hopefully you get to use for more than one well, but we know pipe life has been a concern mm -hmm. because it's gotten so expensive. And then casing is casing, right? You can't drill a well without casing and cementing it. You can't really get around that. You can't get around the specifications for burst and collapse. And really, you know, as far as pipe, 
I think it's another one where it's very hard to control costs because it's a pretty well-known market and the standards are what they are. Yeah. No, it's in, in the really the one of the big things too is for a long time, and we still are as an industry trying to redesign or improve the design of wells to reduce casing strings, right? Going from yeah. say four string to a three string. And anytime you can kind of change around your well design and not, you know, give up too much, then that's always a big win. And that's something we've seen, you know, I've seen it in the DJ going from three string down to the monobores in the Permian, you know, we had, yeah. a, you know, we were able to really participate in, in a lot of that improvement in the Permian of, you know, going to a three string with, you know, the inner light and blah, blah, blah. Man, would you- well, That's a great, I mean, I was going to say, that's yeah. a great case history of a fluid solution reducing tubing costs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, in the direct emulsion, we've talked about it in other episodes, but it allowed you to merge two sections that were typically cased separately. Mm-hmm. And so it just goes to show that your mud bill might not reflect that, but there are things it can do that can affect these other things. Yeah. And then you look at, you know, Oklahoma, where they try like hell to monobore a number of these but you've got these really reactive shales exposed. You've got these other challenges that sometimes you can get away with it, but it's Oklahoma, so the geology is everywhere, and you got to figure out where you can do it and where it's going to cost you more money on that day rate to try. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But when you can do it, it's a home run, right? Yeah, it is. No, it definitely is. And so, yeah, when you can kind of look at the lower cost items, if you can improve those to really impact the bigger cost items, sort of on the, you know, the whole total cost of ownership of a well, it, it can make some huge difference and big strides on getting to where you want to be. Next up on the list here is the old cement coming in at a roughly 200,000 a well at 6%, which doesn't seem like much, but every single well uses it. And like kind of like us, they're in the chemical business. A lot of challenges on that front. And again, people and horsepower and all the rest of it. But Matt, I mean, what's your take on the whole cement? I didn't know it would be up there just as much, but granted, it's only 6%. I think cement went way up because it's a very energy intensive process to make. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, globally, there have been issues and moving it around. What's interesting with cement, think about if all we did was sell like base oil and bayrite, right? Like everybody, like there's no differentiator necessarily. Like there may be a spec you go by, but like the way that you make money is in the service around it. Right. right? And so that could be, that's going to include additives. It's going to be your spacers. It's going to be retarders. It's going to be all of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But for drilling fluid, mud isn't mostly bayrite. It certainly sure has a hell of a lot in it, and it's a huge topic of conversation on the supply chain side. Yeah. But cement is cement. And so for their business model, it's so much more about what else I can put in it to make money because everyone can sort of get on the open market a benchmark, right? Yeah, no, and that's, you look at, like I've been a part of a lot of different drilling programs and cement's a tough one. I really feel for those folks. I mean, the work is challenging. Brutal business. You know, the hours are nuts. It's not like you're out there for a while. You're out there on call essentially. Yeah. And I've known, actually one of my buddies growing up, he worked for a Canadian, I think he worked for Sanjel for a while and another one. It was when I was working rigs and he was working cement and- the hours like he would be he lived in red deer and it'd be three in the morning they'd be like oh we got a job and next thing you know he's up for the next four days and i'm yeah. just like geez buddy and you know and the, the pay wasn't great but on, on top of that kind of in the seat i'm in now getting to see different you know customers using different cement companies they don't give them a lot of wiggle room for error they're not hesitant to swap out cement companies and you know at a 
you know, if you're on a pad, they may make some shuffles depending if you can service the well or not. And to me, from the outside looking in, it seems like a very finicky, challenging, and extremely important. Like if you don't have a good cement job, talk about a bunch of remedial work that can cost a ton of money. So Yeah, well, I think, so it was interesting talking to my dad about fishing, like fishing hands. Yeah. And he said, you know, it used to be back in the day, like the fishing hand was royalty. You know, it wasn't expected that you were necessarily going to be able to catch the fish. Yeah. You'd go out there, you'd use your tools, you had this soft nuance, it was an art, and if you got it out of the hole, you were a hero. Right. But <laughs> now he's like, if you can't get it, you're a runoff. Right. Like, right? Like, like, doesn't matter what happened down hole to cause it. It's expected you'll be able to catch that fish. Jeez. And have we done a fishing episode? No, maybe we should. How um, have we not thought of that? Anyway, I don't know. It was just, it was very interesting because I think he's right. Like, it's expected now that you show up and yeah. you pull whatever we twisted off or whatever's down there, you get it. And if you can't, I'll find somebody who can. I wonder what the success and, rate is of fishing nowadays. That's a good question, but I suspect it's higher. You know, there's yeah. more technology to kind of know where and what and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. But ultimately, like, some of the very best people were making up fishing tools out of their garage. It wasn't standard <laughs> stuff, right? They'd yeah. come up with some goofy thing that could hook onto a tool joint or whatever. Yeah. But anyways, that one, I think cementing has maybe fallen into, I don't know if, you know, cementing, look at Halliburton, right? Earl Halliburton, that was the whole deal, was these cementing techniques. It was okay. revolutionary, right? And then you kind of look at today, and it's like, if you can't get me a, you know, a good cement job, regardless of what position we left the wellbore, yeah. you're out. Yeah. And so I think there's that. I think there's the challenge because it's so cutthroat. It's hard to put money into from an R&D side mm. because it's difficult to generate the returns. Yeah. Yeah. There's just those poor guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Poor yeah. cementers. So next on the list here we have coming in at the same, oh no, so at 165000 for 5% of the well comes at the completion equipment side of things. And by that, I mean, I don't know what it, I mean, talking about like generators and trucks or like what, or like tools or. My presumption would be that this is hardware. So I wasn't sure if maybe this fell in line with like frack plugs and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. It's not a small number, but any listener who's tied in, I would assume it's the hardware associated with that. I don't know if it would include like an ESP in a wellhead or so Oh, surface trees are a separate category. So we'll get to that. Anyways, and, and uh, yeah, wire lines up there too. So yeah, I don't know what that would consist of. You're, you're likely right, like downhole tool stuff. But yeah, so now we should talk about the most overpriced service line and the whole thing. <laughs> I, I mean, what I just, could that be? Justin? I couldn't even believe it when I saw this. I just, I knew it was up there. You know, the whole directional drilling side of things. Yeah, just absolutely. I mean, those unreal what those guys are charging. I know, and to think that well. You know, when things go wrong, I hate to say it, but it's typically directional that just usually, usually, usually. you know, they come up with all these funky well designs and these corkscrew type wells that they're trying to get tools that pack off LCM. I mean, unreal, unbelievable. (laughs) If there's a directional drilling podcast out there, please shoot some shots fired back at us. I don't think there is. Send us a message. I'm sure you're coming after us anyways. (laughs) No, it it takes two to tango, right? So between us and directional, you need both of us. And we always like to point fingers. But 
you know, I think at least the good ones do take a good amount of accountability and responsibility. So Absolutely. thank you for the ones that do. Yes. <laughs> Forget our cynicism. Yeah. But directional services is next. <laughs> and they come in, same thing, 165000 for 5.16% of the overall well cost. And again, if you look at just drilling costs, it's up there, you know, aside from, you know, the contract driller, OCTG, cement, directional drilling, and it can make or break you too. You know what I yeah. mean? Matt, thoughts around directional services other than what, what we already elaborated on? I mean, granted, we've always known that they're considered one of the premium costs on the drilling side, right? And they have a day rate. Their tools seem very expensive because of the cost of their day rate. And, you know, a lot of that's, if you think about it, a lot of those are days, you know, there's days in service or days down hole mm-hmm. charge more and those numbers will seem big but they're not a they're not in the hole the entire time so they're getting that money but it's maybe in a more compressed fashion to us that, that makes it feel a little more expensive yeah you know but like you said this is a very competitive market too there's very good companies there's other ones that maybe have some work to do but if you can't hit the target <laughs> or you accidentally drill into your the wrong lease or even just bad directional, how much longer it might take to run casing or yeah. any of those things, there's pretty high demand for quality here. Yeah. What I can appreciate on the directional drilling side is the amount of technology that's gone into directional drilling over the years. Yeah. You know, between MWD and, and really, I mean, to think you can steer well and drill and get within, you know, call it 12 inches of a target that's, you know, two, three miles away subsurface is pretty remarkable. And, you know, as an industry, I just think it's amazing. And directional drilling has really made some big strides. And now they're, you know, steering wells from the office and all the rest of it. But it's a neat part of the drilling operation. And for those that are involved with it and who know it really well, it's, yeah, it's a huge part of the success. And, you know, better drilled wells make for better production. So it's extremely important. But at the end of the day, it's only 5% of overall, you know, DNC costs. So, but man, it can sure, you know, again, like I said, make or break a good well. Next on the list, you know, it's probably the, well, arguably the most important thing that ever can happen on a well. Matt, what is it? Mud is blood. (laughs) Yes, that's right. It is the blood of a well. You know, it comes in at $165,000. 5.16% of the overall well cost. When you see that next directional, are you like, we don't feel expensive, but now it makes sense why the operator is always like, you guys are expensive. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. Come on. Yeah, the we... pipe guys are expensive. We're just, yeah, we're keeping your cost down. And it's one of those, it's like. It is. I, I yeah. So I would have not guessed if you said who is more expensive. I would have right away said directional. Oh, yeah. And In again, and that's not a shot. I just thought that you paid a premium for directional drilling. And for some reason, I just expected, like, I would have guessed like over 200 for directional. Whereas well, ours, would I would have guessed probably around 165. And I wonder, think about this, right? Like, so steerable motors or just mud motors, right? Mm-hmm. Some people are, the technology's come along enough. People are still, you know, running those overwhelmingly. Rotary steerables are the next big thing, but the costs were so huge that they have to come down. Yeah. But people are finding maybe they're peeling a day or two off with a rotary steerable. That probably costs more. You know, this is probably the average where, sure. but if you're running motors, they're, you know, they're so commoditized that like some of the big, you know, companies in this world make them and just sell them to service other service companies or rent them at least to rent them out. So I could see us, you know, a breakdown here of certain types of motors, that kind oh, of yeah. thing. And that, you know, how are you drilling directionally? 
And so I think we working on some of those higher profile wells maybe do see some of that. Yeah. But I think, you know, look, we look at enough BHAs, we have an idea that some of this stuff is probably relatively commoditized. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I would say so. So yeah, again, 5% of the cost on mud. I mean, on this, it looks pretty small from a percentage standpoint, but ultimately it can make or break the well too. I mean, there's a lot of things that we're doing to maintain well bore stability and, you know, to help reduce days or at least, you know, hit the target of the days that they AFE the well. And, and again, it's like, it takes all of this to make a well. And, you know, it's, it's fun to sit here and be like, ah, mud's the most important. But at the end of the day, it takes everyone to do their job. And if everyone's clicking along, then yeah, they can meet this 3 million bucks. But <laughs> that can be escalated pretty drastically if any single one of these has a failure or an outright just, you know, implosion, if you will, or a train wreck. So yeah. it's all important. So next on the list, and now we're getting down to, oh, I was going to say less than 100,000, but no, we got here wireline cased hole. That's going to be likely on the completion side because anything on the logging or wireline side for us is typically open hole. I mean, there's some exceptions, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, 150,000 for four, so almost 5%, little less than five. Yeah, I don't, do, I think, do they do wireline? They do wireline on every well, right? On case hole or like when you're completing, I think. I mean, look, every is like the most dangerous world, <laughs> word to use, right? Right. Or um, typical well. That- I would I would assume so, especially now when you're a lot smarter about your plug placements and other things that sure. you would really want to know. I think there was an occasion where you just put in a ton of frack plugs and let it rip. And the other, you know, I think it would be interesting to see what a drilling engineer prioritizes on this. But obviously they're willing to spend the money and you know, it doesn't take a ton of time necessarily, but it's pretty important to know where you're at in the hole and what's behind casing. Yep. No, exactly. And another one, again, nothing topic that I'm not super familiar with, but very important surface trees. If you didn't have one, that'd be disastrous because you need something to control what's coming out of the hole and be able to divert this, that, and the other. But that, so on the completion side, surface trees are on top of the wellhead and all your lines and everything tie into this tree it kind of looks like to which then everything all the gets, valves you know the big you know they look like steering wheels but they're all over and they're spread out and that's it so yeah. it looks like a tree yeah yeah and that comes in at seventy five thousand. Yeah. yes for 2.35 so again starting to get really really small i'm not going to elaborate too much on that bits you know they hand them out like skittles you know what i mean so they got to be somewhat cheap but no, $55,000 per well. That's pretty considerable, again, if you and, look at it at just the drilling side. And that's probably a rental fee too, right? Because most of these are PDC bits. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a bit that you hopefully can use again, or, you know, if it's mostly spent, it can be re-whatever to, you know, put back together. And so, I mean, I think that's interesting, but we know it's a super competitive market. Yeah. We, But we also know there's a ton of technology and, you know, PDC cutters and stuff like that are not cheap, but they generate a ton of performance, therefore justifying why you'd spend that money to keep your days down. Yep. hundred percent. Next on the list and, and one that's, you know, close to our hearts is solids control. I would imagine that's equipment plus, you know, the like loaders in the backyard, rental bins, blah, 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 maybe haul off that comes in at $50,000 for, you know, a percent and a half roughly of the cost. But again, it's just, it's so detrimental to the performance of a drilling fluid. And so if you look at that and say, you know, which they, I would say often can happen is it's like, ah, oh, solids control, you know, we don't need to put a much of time, effort and money into that. But 
if you don't, then ours all of a sudden goes from 165 and can get up close to that, you know, cement cost of 200,000 and then some. And it's critical for the, you know, the fluids management side of it to really, you know, look at solids control. And even though it's only $50,000, it makes a world of difference on the overall drilling operation. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's an interesting aspect of the conversation, though, of like, okay, Bayright recovery, or Mm. do I need a second centrifuge? Or, you know, those sort of like, hey, I don't want any more incremental. I know solids control is important. I don't want any more incremental costs beyond because this is something I can't control. But I also know if I don't do it, other things could get more expensive, like either fluid properties, maintenance, or I have to relax my fluid properties and my ROP goes down. Like, you know, those are the, I think those are the nuances with solids control where you could add 10 or 20% to this number and it might make a big, big difference the overall well economics, but you've got to sharpen your pencil and look into the numbers and capture some really good data to get there. Right. No, that's, uh, I mean, that's exactly, it's a huge point. And that's, I mean, hey, we could have multiple conversations. We have, we had the Derek folks on to talk about solid control, but nonetheless, it's small, but it's mighty. (laughs) And then I'm kind of interested, or I guess curious why they added cementing hardware as another line item. Maybe they had enough data to break it out, but that comes in at 35,000. That would be probably your like cement plug and probably float equipment. Right. I don't know if, I mean, maybe this maybe is aggregated, but if you're doing a two-stage cement job in certain basins, yeah, just, you know, kind of things like that. Yeah. I like jewelry on your casing yeah. essentially, but I would imagine, but anyway, you know, well, I presume so, but the last one, you know, casing running that might include float equipment. Yeah. Good point. What do we know? Actually, yeah. it just, okay. So cementing hardware is 35,000, which is a little over 1%. Yeah. Casing running is 0.94% at $30,000. It's a small last thing on the list. Yes. But you know, that could include casing running tools. I don't know if it includes float equipment necessarily. Probably not. Maybe, maybe if you're floating your casing, obviously that could be a big part of it, but like the actual, you know, hardware, the, what do you call it? Everything at the end of the casing, the business end, yeah, <laughs> uh, where the cement comes out, all yeah. all of that hard jewelry there, yeah, the float and all that, yeah, and and I would imagine a lot of that is service cost because you have you know a bunch of hands that come out with their casing running tools and their tongs and their and their slips, and then you get a bunch of people running around the rig floor and, but anyway, yeah, yeah. It's, it's important. You need it. It doesn't move the needle much on cost, but again, you need for me that you know when I look at that, I, I see personnel and yeah. casing running. You, Without personnel, there's no automation that can pick up casing off the truck and throw it down hole. So again, it, all of this takes people. And that is a, <laughs> another one, a crazy lifestyle of being Oof. on call. Oh, man. Look, I mean, look, casing hands have a reputation, right? Like all around the world. And the only thing I've seen similar was well testing. Yeah. But well, you know, well testing, it's you come in to do a job, it gets delayed, wait around, don't go anywhere and that sort of thing. I remember I was on a job, we were in another country and the well test got delayed by quite a bit and the country manager was trying to send all of the well testing hands out of the country for fear that they would create some sort of incident, like with too much time at the bars (laughs) and all that. And like, like, it was just one of those like, get them out of here, but somewhere close where I can get them back. And this was a place that you could probably get into a lot of trouble, but the country was not necessarily one that would give you a lot of slack. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was both concerned for their safety, but also <laughs> for the safety of the job anyways. But like a casing, it's another tough lifestyle 
lots of demand and people intensive, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So. No, and that's it. And then and all of that adds up again to 3.195. It's, you know, and in that has come up, you know, in 2000, I don't know, call it 12 or 13. That might have been a lot lower. But nonetheless, that gives you a breakdown. I think it was cool to chat through. And again, mud's up there. And so, you know, it's critical that we do the, you know, clearly deliver, you know, the best product, the best services, because if not, all these can go up drastically. And we want to be part of the solution and, and not certainly not part of the delays or problems. So, yeah, I think this is insightful. I hope other people found it interesting because I sort of just focus on keeping mud costs down, but I don't know the impact on other things. Sure. Or it's not necessarily as laid out clearly all the time. I think this gives some perspective no matter what part of the business you're in. And thank you very much, Spears and Associates, for putting this up on LinkedIn. And yeah. you can follow Richard Spears. They have some great reports. And they have a podcast, I believe, as well, The yeah. Drill Down. The Drill Down, yeah. Um, they do a great job. It's I yeah. don't know how... They knock it out so fast. Their episodes are like seven minutes long, but they it's like all thriller, no filler. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of a banter, but they just get right into it. I like well, it. I mean, I think they're very gifted at that. So I've mostly known Richard Spears through, it was funny. He spoke at the AD Fluids Conference a couple of years, what, 22? It was earlier this year. Okay. And it was just kind of funny because I'm like, oh yeah, my dad was in directional and all that. He goes, everybody knows Larry. He like yeah. just kind of waves his hand, but then he kind of goes off something else, but He's so quick to tell you a story and like he knows everybody. Yeah. And like he knows everybody who knows everybody. So at the AAD lunch, SPE luncheon last week, he's like, look, I'm not going to do slides. You're just going to stare at my charts. He's like, I'm just going to talk. And I don't know if it was too far away to know if he had like an outline or anything like that, but he just went. And, you know, they share such great stories that not only like tell you what they're going to tell you, but at an, you know, hey, I met so-and-so and they told me this. Here's a funny story about that. And so it's memorable mm. why what he, you know, why the market is changing or yeah. why. So I think the gift of storytelling is something they're really good at. Yeah. And I mean, I think, like you said, they're very good at just getting to the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, they know what they're, they're such domain experts, right? That yeah. they don't kind of bounce around to try and get to something. It's just that they very much are very direct and purposeful in about their delivery on the information they have. It's pretty yeah. cool. Was So that was last Thursday, right? At Or was yes, last the, Thursday. one downtown at Petroleum yeah. Club? Yeah, I was out of town. I went to that twice and I always look forward to it because it's like around the holidays and he comes yeah. in every December. Every and, December, he'll do an oil field forecast for yeah. the next year. And very cool. I mean- the stories he would share, like they're just hilarious. And since he doesn't actually like work for anyone per se, I mean, I know he serves on several boards and he, I mean, he's partner in his company yeah. and all that, but like he can sort of crack jokes at everybody in the room and you can kind of all laugh together. Yeah. But it's like, no one would say that out loud, but we've all thought it. Yeah. You know? No, I love so. his sense of humor and, and his humility as well. Is he's just a stand up a stand up guy, and his brother, of course, too. He's he's not quite out there as much on the public domain, but nonetheless, yeah. Go connect and follow the Spears brothers, and uh, the Drill Down is their podcast. And with that said, if anyone out there just wants to question these numbers, of course, I'm sure everyone and their dog probably has something to say about them. We didn't make them, yeah. But for context, I think they're pretty darn accurate. And so, but again, thanks for listening. If you have any questions thoughts, concerns, you can reach out to us on LinkedIn. We're connected on there pretty regularly. Or if you want to send us an email at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com, much appreciated. If you could share, review, and just, you know, if you want to repost anything that you see that we've put out from the podcast or any content, we just love spreading the good word. And for those celebrating this beautiful holiday season, a big Merry Christmas. 
Until next time. Take care. Later. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.